are live. Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network coming at you live on the bucolic western shore of Maryland along the banks of the semi-historic Magathy River coming to you live and in living color from the Red Maryland Command Bunker. Welcome everybody to another episode of Red Maryland Radio. I am your host Brian Curvis, Greg Klein on assignment tonight. And by on assignment... I mean, he is at Rift Tracks. That's right, he is at Rift Tracks tonight. And if I was properly prepared, I, uh, <laughs> if I was properly prepared, I would have had a sound clip available for that. We'll just go with this. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here tonight. Um, the governor got his toll lanes through the board. Welcome to Red, oh, welcome to you. Red Maryland Radio, thank you very the much, Red Maryland Maryland Network's Radio. flagship very show. Here are your hosts. Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. <sighs> this is why we can't have nice things, folks. This is why we can't have nice things. Anyway, we are going to talk about the governor's toll lanes tonight and how all that went through and what that ultimately is going to mean going forward. We're going to talk a little bit about Peter Francho at the Board of Public Works yesterday, too. Something that was fundamentally important. Um, something we've talked about. Welcome to Red about, Maryland wow, Radio, really? the Red Maryland wow. Network's flagship wow. show. Here are your hosts, Brian <sighs> Griffiths and Greg Klein. Wow. As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, Peter Franchot's been talking about punishing Alabama and, and boycotting Alabama as it relates to their abortion law. But... What he's going to do or what he's talking about doing may have impacts a lot closer to home. Ones that if you are uh, if you if you care about the fate of foster children, uh, it's going to be kind of a big deal. You're going to want to pay attention to that. Uh, Also tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about Baltimore. We're going to talk about what's going on between boxing, uh, the demolition of Harbor Place. um, That's. that's going to go ahead and um, that's going to go ahead and make it so. Um, and now I'm completely thrown off. Everything about this has completely messed me up. Um, so the governor. Uh, wow, Jack Young has ideas about how to fix Baltimore, and it involves tearing down Harbor Place, it involves tearing down, um, it's going to involve boxing, it's, it's a lot going on. See, this entire thing, now, every time I do a show by myself now, um, it's like Greg just shouldn't leave me alone. Greg just shouldn't, um, should not turn me loose and let me do a show on my own. I'm doing the show at my, at, at my studio instead of at Greg's studio using my rig, and apparently, um, Blog Talk Radio does not like my computer. Um, it just, you know, doesn't... Every time I use this thing... It's what like, the hell's going on out here? So every time, it's like something something like that. So uh, we'll take your phone calls, too. 760-259-2711. I did want to remind you about the Red Maryland Leadership Conference coming up this January. January 11th, Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, at the Doubletree Hotel... In beautiful Annapolis, Maryland, we have lots of stuff um, already planned for that. We've already announced Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega. We've already announced Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers and Maria Sophia and um, and just so many people. 
we, we have so many people, um, you know, which are who are who are coming in for this. It's going to be a great event. If you were at last year's event, then you would know how great of an event it was. We got Rory McShane. We've got Ian Patrick Hines. Uh, the, the names just keep, the names just keep on coming. I mean, it's you know we have. Just so many people. Doug Mayer is going to be there. This conference sold out last year, and it's going to be um, it's going to sell out again this year. I feel extremely confident that we are going to have a sellout for this year's conference again. Buy your tickets now, RedMarylandConference.com. That is RedMarylandConference.com to buy your tickets right now. Now, the big news story of the week. As I mentioned, headline Baltimore Sun yesterday. Maryland Governor Hogan wins key approval for toll lanes project in DC suburbs. So, if you've been paying attention the last couple of years, this this issue as it relates to traffic in particularly the DC area, but it's also in Baltimore too. The governor has proposed traffic solutions to I270 to I495 of the Capitol Beltway to the Baltimore Washington Parkway. Some of those are able to move forward. The fact that the Baltimore Washington Parkway is a federal piece of property and not a state-owned piece of property complicates things, especially as it relates to um, the section between Odenton and the D.C. line. For those of you who don't know, um, not to not to get too far down the weeds of the of the Baltimore-Washington Parkway situation, the Baltimore-Washington Parkway is one continuous freeway that starts basically by National Harbor. It goes north uh, as Interstate 295 into the District of Columbia. Uh, that ends as its intersection with Interstate um, 695, which is the Southeast Freeway. It continues north as DC Route 295, as the uh, as Kenilworth Avenue, and then it continues on into Maryland as the federally owned Baltimore Washington Parkway, and then it becomes Maryland 295, a state highway again, uh, starting at Route 175 in Odenton, and then to its con- to its conclusion, right there uh, in the city, just near near the Horseshoe Casino and near the stadium complex. But the governor has, has because of the difficulties with the 295 project, the Baltimore-Washington Parkway project, the governor has been, um, you know, the governor has been focusing on I-270 and I-495. Now, look, obviously a lot of Baltimore, um, Maryland's commerce, rather, relates around Baltimore, particularly as it relates to the poor of Baltimore. But look, there are a lot of issues and a lot of reasons why people around the state um, have have noticed the necessity of discuss the necessity of dealing with the traffic on I-270 as well as the Capitol Beltway. You have people from all across Maryland who are using these highways. You have people from all across Maryland who are getting stuck in traffic on these highways, uh, whether it's whether or not it's between um, the Capitol Beltway and Frederick on I-270 whether it's I-495, um, you know, people just getting stuck in traffic, that creates a whole host of problems for people who live here. Whether or not it's getting caught in traffic on the way home, you know, the Marylanders lose more hours in traffic every year than I think any residents of any other state. And that's, you know, when you, when you start taking into to account Baltimore traffic and Washington traffic, people spend a lot of time in their cars. And a lot of that time is is stuck in in traffic. If you have ever driven the 30 miles, uh, give or take 30 miles, from the Capitol Beltway to Frederick, like in an afternoon, 
like during the during the afternoon rush hour, forget about it. It may take an hour and a half to, do, to cover those 30 miles. That creates a public safety hazard if you start talking about emergency equipment being um, you know being stuck in in traffic. It creates an environmental toll. People who are using gas, people who wind up using more gas. You have more fossil fuels, more carbon emissions being you know thrown into the air because cars are less efficient when they are not moving. But the whole point of this is to mention the fact that, as Pam Wood writes for The Sun, Maryland's Board of Public Works approved the state's use of private companies to widen highways in the Washington suburbs, but agreed to delay work on the Capitol Beltway after running into opposition. The vote came during a lengthy, intense meeting Wednesday on Governor Larry Hogan's plan to enlist the private sector to widen the Capitol Beltway and Interstate 270. The private contractors would recoup their investment through tolls charged on drivers who use the loon lanes. The Hogan administration has sold the plan, known as a public-private partnership, or P3, as a way to alleviate traffic congestion without relying on taxpayer dollars. Yes, that is that is exactly what's happening here. That is important. That is one of the most important aspects of this program, is the fact that for years and years and years... Transit advocates, Democrats, have tried to make this an issue where they were they were suggesting that it was transit versus roads, okay, and that every transit dollar that was removed going towards roads was just the end of the universe for people who enjoy transit. Now, again, transit, particularly in the Washington suburbs, particularly in Montgomery County, is really the thing that's enjoyed by white liberals who want the poor to subsidize their their train ride. That's what it is. Um, and we've talked about this ad nauseum at, at redmaryland.com. If you go back and look at Fairbox recovery rates, particularly on the state systems, whether it's MARC or the, or the Metro or, or Light Rail, you know, at best, you're talking about a 30% recovery rate, meaning that of, the, of every dollar that the state spends on the mass transit system, or the mass transit system spends on itself, they only get 30 cents back from actual fares. So people, it's basically a 70% of the cost of operating the transit system is subsidized by, by taxpayers. Now, I've also pointed out in the past, by the way, that when you look at some of the privately operated systems, particularly in Hong Kong, for example, they were running 181%. That means for every, um, for every dollar that the uh that every dollar that the transit company spent on its lines that means that a dollar 81 was recovered in fares so that's that's one example as to why the the american public transit system is a complete nightmare um just because of how much it costs but it also goes to show the benefits of when you have private investors getting involved in trying to create transportation solutions in trying to make it so that we have effective transit for Marylanders and effective transportation options. It's very clear that I-270 was not being going to get widened um, by taxpayer dollars. That was very clear that that dog was just not going to hunt. So the fact that the governor took an innovative approach over a public-private partnership and brought Peter Franchot along with him, by the way, don't forget that, uh, in order to do this, is, is monumental and important. Continuing with Pam Wood's article, the first phase of the $11 billion project was supposed to be along the Capitol Beltway from the American Legion Bridge over the Potomac River around to Interstate 95. 
By the way, if you've ever driven that, it's about a 14-mile stretch of road. It is just a nightmare. It's one reason why so many people on the Maryland side don't go to Dulles to to fly, just because just getting there at, at any time, um, any reasonable time, was just, just horrific. But Hogan proposed delaying that part of the project and instead proceeding first with adding toll lanes to Interstate 270, which connects the Beltway and Frederick. Widening the Beltway in Prince George's County would come last. Hogan said he proposed to switch reluctantly. The other two Board of Public Works members split on the governor's proposal, with Comptroller Francho voting with the governor and Democratic Treasurer Nancy Cobb opposed. Cobb said she wasn't clear on the details of the switch and that she still, hasn't, she still has broad concerns about whether privately built toll lanes are the right solution to traffic congestion. Cop said in an interview that she still has unanswered questions about many of the financial and environmental implications of the project. I hope there will be a great deal more sunshine. Francho added conditions to the toll lanes project to move forward, including allowing transit buses to ride for free on the new lanes, reserving part of the state's portion of the toll money for local transit, studying the feasibility of building a monorail line along Interstate 270, and not allowing the state to buy any properties for the project until a final agreement with a contractor is proposed. Francho said in an interview that switching the order of the project will give the state an opportunity to consider some of the concerns raised by residents and elected officials in Montgomery County. I think it's very, very, very important to point something out here. Okay, Governor Hogan has often been criticized by Democrats for a, quote, go-it-alone strategy that he refuses to compromise, that he refuses to bring Democrats along the table. Now, anybody who, who has talked to the governor, anybody who's seen the governor in action, know that's nonsense. But is there a better, has there been a better indication of the governor's willingness to compromise? Has there ever been a better, you know, example of how Democrats and Republicans can come together and get something done, but agree to work together to make it happen. Look, the governor wanted the Capitol Beltway project done first, and that, you know, there are there are good reasons for that, um, particularly when you consider that it, it, once the toll lanes are constructed from Frederick to the Capitol Beltway, you're still going to wind up having the same highway capacity on the Capitol Beltway. Um, so you're going to unload more cars quicker on a road that's already congested. But still, all of this was going to wind up being built in phases. If you've been to Northern Virginia recently, you'll see the what's been going on. They've been doing a lot of work in, in Northern Virginia, particularly the I-95 to the American Legion Bridge portion of the Capitol Beltway. Does that sound familiar, by the way? I-95 to the American Legion Bridge. And those have been toll lanes for quite a while now. Um, HOV toll lanes, um, where it's either HOV3 if you have a flex pass, or you can just pay to use the lanes. There's also about to launch, uh, finish I-395 in Virginia from the Capitol Beltway. Well, well, actually, it's it's basically from, it's 95 and 395, the Shirley Highway, which basically it goes from Occoquan down near um, Quantico, and it's going to go all the way to the 14th Street Bridge in D.C., so that's going to be all toll express lanes as well. Now, to be fair... On the Shirley Highway, those HOV lanes already existed. This was just a private contractor coming in and renovating those existing lanes. Whereas they did build new toll lane capacity, um, express lane capacity on the Capitol Beltway in Virginia as well. By the way, once all of this is done, that means that you're going to have at least one entire half of the Beltway 
that is is express lanes, which is which is a great thing for for traffic. Because one one thing, and I I'm, I hate to, I, I know I'm kind of going in a bunch of different directions with this. This is a subject I am very familiar with and very passionate about, as you can probably tell. But you know, people forget that there is a lot of traffic on I two seventy on four ninety five that is not related to people who live here. It's not people commuting back and forth. You have tractor trailers which are going delivering goods to homes and businesses and 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 restaurants and stuff like that in the greater DC metropolitan area. You have a lot of people who are vacationing, people who are coming to DC uh, in order to vacation. You have a lot of you have a lot of through traffic. You know, truckers use I-95 a lot. It's the farthest east of our interstate highways. Not all of the truck traffic is going to go up Route 13 through the eastern shore to try to avoid the D.C.-Baltimore um, traffic mess. So you have a lot of through traffic. People who are either who are trying to get from point A to point B, and either point A or point B are in you know, the, the Baltimore-Washington metropolitan area. And it's also important to remember here that Baltimore's um, Baltimore and Washington's transit systems or transportation systems or highway systems, however you want to talk about it, were never finished. They were never finished. Baltimore was supposed to have an outer beltway. Um, part of it was built. It's Route 100 in Anne Arundel and Howard counties, for those of you who are familiar with that. That was supposed to continue. Uh, it's it's all of Route 100, and then the last couple of miles of I 20 of Route 29 as it heads up towards I 70. That highway was supposed to continue all the way around the Beltway and reconnect at I 95. The Washington Outer Beltway was supposed to be constructed. Um, the only parts of it that 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 were ever built were the intercounty connector and parts of the Fairfax County Parkway, that was supposed to circle all of Washington, D.C. If those roads had been built, you would have seen um, a, a lower traffic capacity. If I-495, the Capitol Beltway, would not have nearly the traffic that it has now if Interstate 95 had been completed through Washington, D.C. 270 in the Capitol Beltway would not have the traffic they have now if I-270 had been completed into Washington, D.C. You know, whether you agree with the freeway revolts, whether or not, whether you think they should be built, they should be not, the fact is is that our highway grid was designed with those pieces in mind. So one of the reasons that we have such galactically bad traffic in the Washington area in particular in the Baltimore area, too, there were lots of Baltimore highways that weren't finished. But one of the reasons that we have such bad traffic in the D.C. area is because the highway grid was never finished. So I-270 dumps out onto the Capitol Beltway, a place it was not supposed to end. And that's that's part of the problems you know, that you actually wind up with. is because you have a highway grid that was designed for pieces of the road that just aren't there. Now, continuing, and I want to get to this part too, um, you know, one of the things that Democrats, one of the things that transit advocates have been kind of going on to is about how people are going to be, quote, forced to use these lanes and people are going to have to pay high tolls. And it's a lie. I mean, there's just no other way around it. It is a bold-faced lie. The fact is, is that the current lanes are going to be free. People can choose to use the express lanes, 
or not. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's one of the um, the CEO of a, of one of the chambers of commerce in Montgomery County said, "quote This is the first real opportunity to address significant congestion." Um, that easing congestion through toll lanes will ensure a reliable flow of goods between markets. This is important. This is important. Now, one of our, our, uh, our quote, friends, unquote, you can't see air quotes, Ben Ross from the Transit Opportunities Coalition, I'm just going to read this, question whether the state's motive is to help private companies rather than commuters. How out there, how myopic do you have to be to think that a plan that is going to add hundreds of lane miles of roadway that will eliminate traffic or at the very least help to alleviate traffic, how do you think that you're building that just to benefit a private company? Yeah, this is the problem when you have um, have jabronis like this, jagoffs who, who think that everything is about enriching somebody else. No, it's about doing the right thing. It's about making, making it so that people, families, can get from point A to point B. Um, he also said he's concerned that if toll lanes don't draw enough paying drivers to make the project financially viable for a private company, then taxpayers will be stuck bailing them out. Something that, of course, was refuted by the State Highway Administration because it notes that the state only pays the contractor if the state terminates the agreement and that the state is not on the hook. And this is the thing. You get these transit advocates that just make up facts. They just put stuff out there that's demonstrably not true, trying to get everybody ginned up, trying to get everybody excited, trying to, you know, trying to make it so that that people think that the lane that these lanes are something that they're not, um, which is a way to, to make people rich, which is just not true. The fact that we are using a public-private partnership to fix legitimate problems, you cannot be on a car in the Washington area driving on the Capitol Beltway or 270 and legitimately look anybody in the eye and say that traffic is not a huge problem. People who live in Frederick and work in, in Washington, people who are trying to get from point A to point B, sit in traffic forever. And a lot of the people who are opposing these lanes are making a ruckus you know, professional agitators like Ben Ross, people who, who make their money, by the way, um, opposing, you know, pro- promoting transit. And, uh, you know, he's got books on the, he's got books on this and, and the whole nine yards. These are people who, these are people who, whose life is dependent on opposing common sense. You know, they, they don't understand the importance of roads. They don't in, understand the importance of getting goods from point A to point B. They don't understand about the importance of allowing, you know, making it easier for an emergency vehicle to get to somebody in need. They don't understand the importance of a dad or a mom getting home to watch their kid's baseball game. Yeah, these are folks who are promoting transit above everything else, even though for years, particularly in the O'Malley administration, mass transit got 53% of the state gas tax revenue for a system used only by 8% of Marylanders. Transit, for years, transit has been disproportionately favored by successive Democratic administrations. And now, finally, we're seeing the pendulum swing a little bit back to the other way. More importantly... This is the pendulum swinging back in a way that does not put the taxpayer on the hook. 
it's the best of both worlds. More money for roads and less traffic without the taxpayer having to pay for any of it. And I get it. People like Ben Ross and some of these transit advocates are people who don't think you should have the freedom to own a car. They want people to live um, in, in the Paris Glendening era smart growth communities, places where everything's walkable. You know, they don't want you to have a car. They want you to be forced to walk to dinner, walk to get your groceries, walk to a transit hub in order to take mass transit. They don't want you to drive. They want you to live, you know, in their, you know, in their planned communities with HOAs that are, you know, just, you know, the H- the HOA is the most fascist of all American inventions. But that's what they want you to do. They want you to live in places that are condos or are, you know, high-density housing and not have a car. And not only is that something that is just completely at odds with the American way of life, it's at odds with common sense. Especially when you consider that no mass transit, no, no monorail, no train, no public bus is going to be able to bring the food necessary to restock a store. And you're not going to have Amazon to start delivering packages by train. There are real-life consequences to how much transit has been favored in the state of Maryland, and we are seeing them now. The traffic that has brought forth the need for this public-private partnership is directly related to Democratic prior, Democrats prioritizing transit for years and years on end. It is the Democrats' fault that we have the traffic that we have now because they have not prioritized new lane, new roads, because they did not prioritize bridge maintenance and highway maintenance. We're, where we are with traffic now, strictly because of Democrats. And it's important to know that, and it's important to point that out. I, for one, am super stoked about these new lanes. It's a very good thing for Maryland. It's a very good thing for our state economy, our local economy, and I can't wait to... I don't drive that way during that time all that often, um, but I look forward to having these express lanes, these toll lanes, as an option to me if I need to get where I need to go. Everybody wins from these toll lanes, and I think that's very important. When we come back, we're going to stick with the Board of Public Works meeting, but instead we are going to talk about Peter Francho and his... um, we're going to talk about Peter Francho and his uh, and his continued insistence on punishing Alabama for for moving in the right direction. Stick with us. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. We'll be right back. You know, getting caught for a DUI is something that can happen to anyone. A simple mistake that can have serious lifelong consequences for the person who commits the offense. That's why if you're caught driving under the influence, you should have the best attorney standing up for you, protecting your rights. Gregory M. Klein is that attorney, a lawyer with a track record of strong defense for those arrested for DUI. If you need a lawyer, call 410-541-6DUI or visit annarundeldui.com. Gregory M. Klein, 410-541-6384.
are invited to the first annual Montgomery County Teenage Republicans Banquet on Tuesday, June the 11th. Join guest speaker, former Governor Bob Ehrlich, at Buca de Beppo, 122 Kentlands Avenue in Gaithersburg. This event is free for Teenage Republicans, but $40 for adults. For more information, contact Ryan Nyadak at ryan at nyadak.net. That's R-Y-A-N at G-N-I-A-D-E-K dot net. Or Dwight Patel at Dwight at DwightNation.com. Authority Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. You were invited to the 2019 Montgomery County Republican Party Lincoln Day Dinner featuring guest speaker, Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford. This dinner takes place on Monday, June 17th at the Doubletree Hotel, 8120 Wisconsin Avenue in Bethesda. Sponsorship opportunities are available. For tickets and more information, visit mcgop.com and click on 2019 LDD. Authority Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. We are back, Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Brian Gervis. Greg Klein on assignment tonight. As I mentioned earlier, he is he is at Riff Track. <laughs> probably sounds something like this right now. Yeah, but here's uh you know, here here we are holding down the fort. I do want to remind you. This week's episode of Red Maryland Radio, also brought to you by the Montgomery County Republican Party Lincoln Day Dinner. They've got Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford coming in Monday, June the 17th, 2019. Go to mcgop.com for more information about that and how to buy your tickets today. And that's coming to you authority of the Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. So now let's talk about Peter Franchot. Yeah, I, I, we talked at length a couple of weeks ago, I wrote something over at RedMaryland.com. We talked at length about Francho and his his his, his Alabama obsession. You know that Peter Francho is willing to just take an extreme hard left wing turn in order to boycott "quote unquote" Alabama uh, and make sure that no state dollars went towards the state of of Alabama and. Uh, and this was done in in reference to the the abortion law that Alabama passed a couple of weeks ago. The one that Democrats still seem to think is an attack on women, despite being introduced by a woman and signed in law by a woman. But Democrats have never been consistent on this idea anyway. So why the hell should today be any different, right? So this issue of Alabama and Peter Francho's quote boycott unquote, um, you know, it kind of it kind of became a thing. It it, it came up. During the Board of Public Works meeting yesterday. Here's your headline of Veta Wiggins, Washington Post. Maryland Board delays foster care contract with Alabama firm. That's right, folks. We, we are now, Peter Francho is now messing with foster kids. That's what we're doing now as a state. I'm sure that, that Democrats should be, should be very, very proud Um you know, very, very proud about this. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, 
The Maryland Board of Public Works voted Wednesday to delay awarding $625,000 to an Alabama-based company after Comptroller Peter Franco called for a boycott of the state over its new strict abortion law. Franco and Nancy Cop, both Democrats, asked administration officials to explore an alternative for the 20 children in foster care placement with Maryland families through Siraj Family Homes, a company headquartered in Montgomery, Alabama. Last month, Franco urged Maryland, taxpayer, Maryland to divest any state taxpayer dollars from being spent in Alabama after lawmakers there passed a bill that bans most abortions. Quote, Alabama's values are drastically different than the values of people in Maryland. Therefore, I don't think Maryland tax dollars should be subsidizing directly or indirectly Alabama's assault on women, Franco said. Um, somebody should probably tell him that half of the children killed during abortions are women. Uh, but, you know, again, facts are, you know, facts are, are facts are feckless things when it comes to Democrats talking about the issue of abortion. Governor Larry Hogan asked if the delay would harm the children or affect the placement, their placement. Gregory S. James, the deputy secretary for the State Department of Human Services, said the delay would not cause any immediate harm but he raised concerns about moving children from their foster homes. Francho asked James to provide an alternative that would allow the children to stay in the homes, quote, but move them out of the Alabama company roles. What the hell's going on out here? Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about now. So just to, just to keep track here, okay, just so we're all playing along, Francho wants to boycott state taxpayer dollars from going to the state of Alabama. An Alabama company has a $625,000 contract that places 20 foster children um, with Maryland families. Francho believes that contract should be ripped up, that that contract, um, uh, you know, that that contract should should no longer be acknowledged because of Alabama's abortion law. So let's, let's, let's think about this for a second, okay? Francho is concerned that Alabama that that Alabama is no longer allowing people to kill their children in utero but not so concerned that he won't disrupt the lives of 20 children who are in foster care and it's not just foster care it's, we're talking about therapeutic services for 20 kids. None of these kids are in Alabama, okay? These are all Maryland kids in Maryland homes, okay? If the state, the foster families are Maryland families. The, stu- the kids are Maryland kids. The providers that we are talking about here are Maryland providers, the ones that are providing these foster placement services, everything, everything about this is Maryland-based. The only thing, the only way that Alabama touches this at all is because the company, Siraj Family Homes, is headquartered in Alabama. Everything, everything about this is related to the state of Maryland. They have several, several locations that are in the state of Maryland. Okay? 
They are in the state of Maryland. The vision of Siraj Family Homes, they have a vision of stability, safety, and permanency for all children. The organization is guided by a firm belief that our vision can become a reality if certain principles are supported and adhered to. They have established themselves as the leader in therapeutic foster care by, quote, thinking outside the box. They provide, I'm just reading for their website here, and I, I know this is, this is me putting them over, but I want to read all this to you, or a lot of this to you. They have a no-eject, no-reject policy. They provide unconditional care. The families get taught the active recruitment of foster parents. They serve teens who are older. They serve children who are difficult to place. They support the parents in their adoption of the children. They try to take care of kids affiliated with gangs. I mean, this is what the company does. And again, I don't, I don't know the company from Adam. This is what they say they're doing. These are all things that are, are worthy. They are things that we want to happen with our foster care system. But if Peter Franco gets his way, the state would be forced to move them. Their care would be disrupted. And we're talking about traumatizing kids you know, or providing them with, a, with a, an additional level of instability. Kids who have already had a level of instability. It's pretty damn appalling. You know, it, <sighs> Democrats always like to throw this in the face of pro-life folks. Oh, well, Republicans and conservatives, they only care about the child before they're born. They don't care about the child after they're born. Peter Franco doesn't want the kids to make it out of the womb. And the ones that do make it out of the womb, he wants to completely disrupt them so he can score some frickin' political points in order to run for governor in 2020. That is a disgusting act. And the fact that Peter Francho would rather prioritize his political career over foster kids, you know, it's bad enough. It's bad enough that Francho was willing to sacrifice himself on the altar of the death cult in order to win their primary election votes. Okay, that's bad enough. You know, that he is willing to engage in this Fakakta boycott of Alabama because Alabama had the audacity to do the right thing and try to save kids from being killed in utero. But now, now, Francho wants to just turn his disruption up to 11. He wants to take foster kids who have been placed in homes and force them to go somewhere else because Peter Francho has a sad that the company is headquartered in Alabama, even though, even though, not a single person affected by this boycott, not a single person receiving any of these state dollars is in Alabama. We're talking about Maryland kids, Maryland employees, Maryland families, Maryland homes, and Peter Francho doesn't give a damn about them. You gotta ask yourself. You know, the democratic view of government, and again, you know, this is we're conservatives, it's a conservative show. The democratic view of government is that government is supposed to be a safety net and it's supposed to provide stability to people. And it's supposed to provide them with, with a home and provide them with all this other stuff. And Francho is willing to set that all on fire in order to punish one company in some punishment, some 
acting out against the state of Alabama. By the way, not a single, single person in the state of Alabama, other than the company itself, is going to notice or care about this. This isn't even an issue. This isn't even an issue where, you know, you, you've seen a lot of boycotts, you know, particularly Georgia passed a very similar law, and you see a lot of movies uh, and TV shows boycotting or saying they're going to boycott Georgia. Um, and that has real, that has real impact. Um, it's not a reason to, to, to kowtow to, to left-wing death cult ideology, but that has a real impact because those, those stores, excuse me, those shows are spending money in stores. They are spending money in hotels. They are spending money on local employees and they are, they are, you know, they are actually providing a direct economic impact to, to the state of Georgia. The fact that, <laughs> that all the people involved here we're talking about are Maryland-based. This is the most virtuous of virtue signaling. I mean, it really is. This is just Peter Francho. He made this fakakta promise, and now he's trying to to take it out and enforce his promise on vulnerable kids. I mean, and that, I mean, just... Ugh! It's very frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. No, 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 no. You shouldn't do no. that. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, God. It, I, I'm telling you, this is, this is... You know, we're very passionate here at Red Maryland about, about protecting life from, you know, making sure that life is, is protected from conception until national, until natural death. And the fact that that Peter Francho now, not only does he, he's now playing politics with both the unborn who didn't make it out of the womb, you know, the kids, you know, the kids who were being killed, uh, he wants to stand up for, for, for killing kids, you know, killing unborn kids. But now the kids who again actually made it, who actually were born, he wants to completely disrupt their lives for just completely asinine political purposes. We're going to stay on top of this topic. This is a very important topic because this kind of virtue signaling is absolutely disgusting. Um, and you should be disgusted. If you're a Republican who voted for, um, you know, if you're a Republican who voted for Peter Francho, I hope you are disgusted. I really do. Okay, um, we talked about this during the election that Peter Francho is a left-wing Tacoma Park liberal, Tacoma Park Democrat. You know, the tiger can't change his stripes, the leopard can't change her spots, and Peter Francho can't change his, uh, you know, you can't change his actual political leanings, and those political leanings are towards left-wing statism, and part of that is being part of the pro-abortion death cult. So. This should be a lesson to all of you who voted for Peter Francho to not do that again. I think we, yeah, I, I think that we can, uh, I think that we can make sure that that's okay. It, in a perfect world, Peter Francho would take a look at himself and just you say, will from this position of honor. but that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, so we're just going to have to, 
we're just going to have to saunter forth. If Peter Franco does not have a serious Republican challenger for comptroller, if he runs for re-election, then we will have failed as a party. I know, hey, we finally got a serious candidate for attorney general this year uh, where we had Craig Wolf run. Now we need a serious candidate run for comptroller, somebody who is actually going um, <laughs> you know, stand to stand a, a puncher's chance of winning. Hey, speaking of puncher's chance, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, we're talking about Baltimore City, which means we're talking about boxing and Harbor Place. What could possibly go wrong? Stick with us. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network, and we will be right back. In a world where drinking and driving is a serious offense, you could spend time in jail and lose your license. You need experienced legal representation. You need the litigator. For two decades, Greg Klein has been representing individuals charged with drunk driving throughout Maryland, and he is coiled and ready to pounce to help you. If you or someone you know has been charged with drinking and driving, contact the litigator, Gregory M. Klein, at 410-541-6DUI. That's 410-541-6384. And check out the blog for more information, AnnaRundleDUI.com. You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers, including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to RedMarylandConference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's RedMarylandConference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. You are invited to the first annual Montgomery County Teenage Republicans Banquet on Tuesday, June the 11th. Join guest speaker, former Governor Bob Ehrlich, at Buca de Beppo, 122 Kentlands Avenue in Gaithersburg. This event is free for teenage Republicans, but $40 for adults. For more information, contact Ryan Nyadak at ryan at nyadak.net. That's R-Y-A-N at G-N-I-A-D-E-K dot net. Or Dwight Patel at Dwight at DwightNation.com. Authority Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. back red maryland radio on the red maryland network i'm your host brian griffiths greg klein off at rift tracks tonight um which is fine i'm off next week i'll be at a baseball game next week greg flies solo next week greg will probably have fewer technical problems than i had in the first five minutes of this show but hey that's the fun of live radio 
That's why uh, that's why John Frenet and Tim Hamilton over at the Maryland Crabs think that we're absolutely bonkers for uh, for doing live radio. But I think what the real reason that we do it, of course, cocaine is, is a hell of a drug. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I do want to remind you, by the way, that we're on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Red Maryland. If you want to help us grow, help be a patron, help grow us, and help make us an even bigger and better. Um, even bigger and better thing, um, go ahead and, uh, um, you know, go ahead and help us out. Patreon.com slash Red And look, we're going to have a lot of, um, you know, we are going to have a lot going on over there. We're going to have some um, patron exclusives. We're going to do the history of Red Maryland podcast. That's one thing that we are we are going to do. And as, as Greg said last week, we are going to do things on the show that uh, on that show that we just can't say on a regular podcast. That's going to be that's going to be the Red Maryland unplugged version of the show. But we're going to have all that and more. Look, there's going to be special special deals, you're going to get special bumper sticker, all sorts of stuff. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash redmaryland and become a patron today. And of course, we already mentioned um, the Red Maryland Conference. Redmarylandconference.com is how you can do that um, in order to sign up now to buy your tickets. Look, the conference is going to sell out, okay? Um so you do want to make sure that uh, you get your tickets now. We've got Kelly Schultz. We've got uh, Kathy Shalega. We've got Doug Mayer. We've got Andrew Langer. We've got Jerry Rogers. We've got Rory McShane. We've got Ian Patrick Hines. And we also have the person joining us on the hotline right now, the chairman of the Maryland Young Republicans, Maria Sophia. Maria, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I, I'm doing very well. Uh, eight years ago today, I became chairman of the Maryland Young Republicans, and uh, Maria is my my latest successor. You have been on the job uh, for a month now, so tell folks a little bit how your uh, how your first month as chairman's been going. It's been great. Uh, honestly, it's been a lot. Just kind of, you know updating everything and working with this brand new board, which has just been an incredible board to work with. I can't, you know, rave about them enough. Um, My new vice chair, Melissa Brown from Baltimore County has just absolutely been great working with and just helping me really get a handle on everything and identifying chapters and areas that we need to build. Um, Evan Young, our national committee man, he's the only returning board member in the same position. Evan and I were on the previous board together so he's been the new um, kind of, like, experienced person, if you will, um, especially because he was at the national level the last time. So he's provided a lot of guidance to our new executive board members as well. Um, Bella Hambrick is, is joining us as well, one of our newer YRs, but definitely has a lot of great ideas and has been really uh, fun to work with. She's brought a new energy to our board that we're looking forward to kind of bringing to fruition a lot of some of these ideas. And uh, Aaron Schwartz from Montgomery County is our new secretary. Uh, He's really excited to finally be able to take on a state executive board uh, position. And Jason Stein rounds out our board as our treasurer from Baltimore County as well, um, who really serves as a really great um, intermediary between the college Republicans and the young Republicans for us. 
So we're really excited. This board is diverse in terms of experience and just ideas too. So they've been fun to work with. We've been reviving a lot of chapters as well. So it's been good. Yeah, and that's an important thing too. I know it's something you got, you've been working on. Um, you know, back in my day, we actually got all, twenty-three out of twenty-four counties had had some sort of organization, whether they were had their own county affiliation or they were part of a multi multi-county organization. I know that's dropped off, uh, particularly the last two or three years. But you've already gotten Anne Arundel County back up. You've already gotten Baltimore County back up. How many other counties do you guys have in the pipeline right now to get why um, our organizations back up and running? Well, we actually have three more in the pipeline. You know, I presented to this executive board a tier process and a way to recruit and a way that we wanted to do this. And it's really been great because we've been all on the same page with it. You know, our two really active chapters when I got elected were Montgomery County and Hartford County. And Cecil County was kind of, you know, in and out because of their membership. So we're glad that Cecil is back, too. So we've got Anne Arundel now where we were finding new and old young Republicans, people that had done it before and people that were excited about it. And so we're excited to get them back. Um, the Baltimore area young Republicans have their meeting next week, and they're starting to get going. We're working on Frederick right now. We're working on Washington County right now. And we're working on Howard County as well. So we're really excited. We've been kind of doing it in a tier process, you know, three by three chapters, you know, trying to get three and then another three and so on. Um, but we're really kind of just recruiting in areas that we feel are areas that we're going to need to have volunteers, boots on the ground for our next cycle, particularly with the county executive races that are going to be coming up and ultimately having a, a wide range of young Republicans to help in the 2022 cycle as well. And that's the important thing, too, is the fact that obviously you're looking forward to 2022, which is which is very important, um, obviously starting to build that, that team heading towards uh, 2022 and obviously use, making use of, of the 2020 election cycle. Um, to do that, and that's—I I know that's been—that's something that when I was chairman, I was always looking for, towards towards gubernatorial election. So it's very, very good to hear that you guys are are focused on that. Now, beyond recruiting, do you guys have any? Um, you know, in these in these new chapters, do you guys have any events coming up? Do you have anything that you want to talk about um, that you want to promote to folks who who might be listening tonight? Yeah, um, so thank you so much for that. I mean, we have our national convention that we'll be all attending in Omaha in July, and we'll be submitting our delegate list shortly. Um, we're actually getting ready to send out a letter um, to people in the party, letting them know like dates and location, you know, where we're going to be and how they can help us. So we're really excited for Omaha because we're going to be able to bring our slate of delegates. Uh, the last time that there was a national convention, it was in Annapolis. So it was much easier for us uh, to bring delegates and so it's gonna be a little bit harder this time uh, but I was lucky enough to actually be a part of that process to help plan that convention two years ago so I, I kind of know what I'm expecting which is helpful uh, so you know we're looking forward to that in in July and then uh, we're planning a couple of little fun things in the fall I actually just got off a, a conference call with some of my executive board members about that um, so we're hoping to have something really cooked up and exciting this coming September or October for uh, everyone in the state party to really take a part in. And uh, we're, we're, we're hoping that we can get that, you know, out the door and, and start advertising for that in the next month or so. So stay tuned. Uh, we're really excited about that. Uh, our social media has been just a buzz with just different things that we're, we're working on as well. So stay, so follow us there and, and stay tuned. So, yeah, and I can't, I, I can't encourage enough for people who um, are of YR age, 
uh, which is 18 to 40. So I'm st- 40. So I'm still a YR, fortunately. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> now like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of old. I'm like, and they're like, I'm 32. I'm like, you're your prime YR age. You know, <laughs> uh, people are people are reaching. I'm like, no, you still have like eight years. You can absolutely join our organization. So, and I think that's the fun part. It, it really serves as a, a networking tool for our young Republicans as well. You know, we have young Republicans that are coming out of college joining us. We've got young Republicans that have been, you know, in all different walks of life professionally. So it really is an organization where we've been helping each other um, professionally and just just the camaraderie as well. Uh, I really want this organization to be something that you cannot just get one thing out of, but it can really help you grow as a person as well. And I think we're on our way to doing that. And I'll tell you two things, too. One, national conventions are a lot more fun to attend when you're not planning them. Uh, and secondly, uh, when I was chairman, the uh, Omaha hosted a, uh, a national committee meeting uh, back in November of 2012. And everything the Nebraska YRs did then was completely first rate. They had a lot of buy-in from the governor's office, from their senators, from the Republican Party. The folks there really know how to put on a good event. So if, uh, if, you, are, um, if, if you are on the fence and say, hey, that sounds like a good use of my time, um, and, and you want to be part of it, I'm sure Maria would love to hear from you. If folks want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Absolutely. Um, they can reach out to me uh, at Maria, that's M-A-R-I-A, at org, and I'll be happy to respond to you and let you know what's going on. They can also uh, go to our Facebook page as well, which is just Maryland YRs or Maryland Young Republicans, and they can sign up and get email updates from us as well there. So uh, it's, a, it's a great organization, and I'm just really, really happy that we have a lot of organ- we have a lot of young Republicans excited to join us. So, Maria Sophia, chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, uh, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, take care. Um, so thanks for Maria for joining us tonight. Didn't know if we were going to be able to get her on tonight, but she made it, managed to call in, and uh, we're always happy to happy to talk about what's going on in the Maryland Young Republicans. Um, energized new leadership, focused leadership, um, which that organization desperately needed. Um, so we are happy to have her on board and help you to help them out uh, as we can. So now let's talk, uh, as we were going to talk about, let's talk about Baltimore. You know, the original story uh, that kind of got everybody's attention uh, in the wrath, you know, in the in the in the in the aftermath of these shootings that happened, you know, and again, another just horribly violent weekend in Baltimore, and it's just gets it's, you know, it's very frustrating that that nobody seems to want to actually fix the problems in Baltimore, but Jack Young, the mayor of Baltimore, had an idea, and that was to set up a boxing ring. At the Civic Center, as he called it, you know, what you and I know as the Royal Farms Arena, and just let the folks, you know, let let everybody slug it out as opposed to getting their guns. This idea has been thoroughly ridiculed from pillar to post by everybody, by Democrats, by conservatives, by local media, by national media. It's, I'm frustrated by that. I am frustrated by that because, as I wrote in my piece at RedMaryland.com, it's not the stupidest idea you've ever heard. There are plenty of good reasons why you want to have folks lace up a pair of boxing gloves and, you know, get in the ring. And, yeah, I get it. Maybe, you know, maybe a boxing match isn't going to solve each individual beef. I get that. But... Teaching somebody how to box, putting somebody in that ring, 
making sure that you know they can defend themselves, providing them with a structure, providing them with training, providing them with opportunity. Who's against that? Why should anybody be against that, particularly if taxpayer funds are not involved? Look, boxing is like any other you know, combat sport. It requires discipline. It requires focus. It requires training. And it gives you opportunity. If you are an amateur boxer, you may be able to do Golden Globe stuff. Golden Glove stuff, rather. You might be able to get a scholarship. You might be able to box in the Olympics. You might be able to become a professional boxer. Either way, it provides the support, the discipline, and a structured environment that a lot of kids in Baltimore don't have. Now, obviously... Boxing is not for everybody. Not every kid, not every 17 or 18 year old is going to take to boxing. It may not be something that interests people. But for crying out loud, what is wrong with the idea of making it an option? What hurts in letting that be a thing? Now, on the opposite side, Jack Young's talking about Harbor Place. Have you been to Harbor Place recently? Harbor Place kind of sucks. <laughs> I, I'm just going to come straight out. I know it's the ground jewel of the harbor, of the inner harbor. I know it's what William Donald Schaefer made happen. But a Harbor Place just kind of sucks. I, I'm sorry, and it's not because of it's only because of this place itself. There's really not anything in there that you need. It's a lot of kitschy stuff. A lot of tourist trap type stuff. Does does the Inner Harbor really need Bubba Gump Shrimp Company? I don't think so. You're trying to tell me that a, a local restaurant, a better restaurant, can't go in there? Maybe, maybe not. But either way, the headline from The Sun yesterday. Baltimore Mayor Young, Harbor Place Mall should be torn down and redone. Jack Young said Wednesday he would like to see the struggling Harbor Place Mall at the Inner Harbor torn down and redone. I would love to see it replaced, Young told reporters at his weekly City Hall briefing. And, and, and this is where you lose me. I'm all in on replacing Harbor Place with something better. And then Jack Young drops this. He described a rough vision for an entertainment district similar to the National Harbor Development in Prince George's County. I have been to National Harbor... A couple of times. Always to go to CPAC. So I, I don't hang out in National Harbor. It's not a place that I ever go. Other than to go for that particular purpose. For that particular reason. To go to CPAC. Okay. But all National Harbor really is. Is kind of a mixed use district. Where it has some stores. It's got some restaurants. And it's really not all that different. From what's going on at Harbor Place. The only difference is. Is that it's spread out over a number of blocks. A much much larger footprint. Than what Harbor Place has. Now obviously. Part of all of this conversation. Is because the the company. That. Um, you know, the company that owns Harbor Place defaulted on their mortgage, so it's in receivership now, okay? And, and this is one of those complicated land deals where a company owns Harbor Place, but the city owns the land that Harbor Place sits on. So, um, which is kind of bizarre, because it 
requires, you know, basically the pavilions can be sold. And that the future, you know, belongs to an owner. But again, the city owns the land. And that, this is the crazy thing about all of this. Young acknowledged that the future of the site would lie with any new owner, but said he'd want to talk to them about a new concept involving shops, restaurants, a Ferris wheel, and a merry-go-round. You know, it's hard to put take that seriously. It's super hard to take any of that seriously. You can't possibly, possibly think that replacing Harbor Place with a Ferris wheel. Yeah, this is this is from the Gavin Buckley School of Mayoral Management, where you just spout off some some idea, don't really think it through, don't really think about how much effect it's going to have, and then just hope that it just kind of happens organically. That's not how this works. All of this, and this is kind of the, the larger point that I want to get to, all of this continues to be a distraction from the actual problems in Baltimore. That's what it ultimately comes down to. You know, we're talking about boxing. Okay, great. It's not an actual, you know, it's not an actual solution. You know, it's not going to take guns, you know, illegal guns off the street. It's not going to stop people from shooting each other. It's not going to stop drug deals from going down. It's not going to stop gang violence. It's an idea. It's not a stupid idea. It's not the worst idea you've ever heard, but it's not an idea that's actually going to solve the problem. Harbor Place sucks, as I point out. Not news there. Tearing it down and replacing it with a freaking Ferris wheel is not going to fix what's wrong with Harbor Place. People go to the harbor for a lot of reasons, none of which involve Harbor Place, and none of which are going to involve a Ferris wheel. There's already a sky wheel or something you know, down, down there. I don't remember exactly what it is. I go down to the harbor to go to the Science Center. I go down there to go to the Constellation. I go down there to go to the Christmas Village. That's why I'm down there. I'm not going to go because there's a Ferris wheel or a carousel or a merry-go-round or something that looks like National Harbor. Jack Young, the entire Baltimore City Central Committee, or uh, City Council, rather, the entire Democratic Party in Baltimore needs to frickin' get serious. And this is where I lose my patience. Because we've said time and time again, Baltimore is the economic engine that drives this state. When Baltimore is successful, Maryland is successful. When Baltimore is prosperous, Maryland is prosperous. When Baltimore is hurt, Maryland is hurt. The fact that Baltimore has lost so much population, the fact that Baltimore can't get their kids educated, that they can't keep the streets safe... When is enough going to be enough? When will this nonsense stop? When? When? Can Baltimore have a mayor that actually tries to work on serious policy solutions and deal with serious issues as opposed to talking about boxing and Harbor Place and some of this other stuff. The Charm City Games. He wants to create an Olympics for Baltimore. Which is a start, I guess, but it doesn't address the underlying problems with the tax base, with crime, and with education. All of this stuff that we talked about here today are cosmetic in nature. They make, they make it look better, but it's really putting lipstick on a pig. 
It's really putting lipstick on a pig. And Baltimore deserves better than this. Maryland needs Baltimore to be better than this. Maryland needs Baltimore to succeed and prosper and thrive and have leadership that actually puts Baltimore first. I'm not sure Jack Young is doing any better in that regard than his predecessors did. End of sermon. I want to thank you all very much for joining me on this week's episode of Red Maryland Radio. Next week, Greg will be flying solo as I'm at an Orioles game. Um, So Greg will be flying solo next week, and we'll be back together for the show in two weeks here on the Red Maryland Network. RedMaryland.com is the home base for all things Red Maryland. Continue to check that out for all things uh, that's fit to print as it relates to the state of Maryland. We'll be having a piece coming up here soon about education funding and how the fix is in. And if there's one thing that we know every time it comes to education is that the fix is always in, which is no surprise to anybody. But again, stay tuned to RedMaryland.com for all of that. You, of course, can subscribe to Red Maryland Network Program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and Google Play, and have shows like this one automatically downloaded to the device of your choice. Again, be sure to support Red Maryland, Patreon.com slash Red Maryland. Become a patron, throw us a couple of bucks, and you will help us out as uh, we continue to grow Red Maryland and get more views, more listens, and more, um, you know, more footprint in the state of Maryland. We don't make a dime off of it. You know, Red Maryland, we, we're self-funded. We don't make a single penny off what we do here at Red Maryland. So every dollar that you donate will go directly to help us grow and enhance the network. We, of course, how could we forget, are on social media. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Red Maryland. We are on Twitter at Red Maryland. We are on Instagram at Red Maryland. Folks, please invite your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, co-religionists, in-laws, and outlaws to like Red Maryland. Share our stuff with them. Share it on your Facebook wall. Share it in your community groups. Share it on Nextdoor. Share it in LinkedIn. Share it wherever you can share it. You are the force multiplier. If you can't donate, if you can't support our Patreon, you can do this, and it doesn't cost you anything in order to to share our stuff and help to grow the reach of Red Maryland. Of course, you can contact us at any time. RedMaryland at gmail.com is how you can do that. Or call or text the Red Maryland Talkback line, 410-205-4875. That's 410-205-4875, and we will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland Network program. Folks, thank you very much for joining this week's episode of Red Maryland. Stay tuned to the network. The air raid comes at you this Sunday. Greg's back with a brand new episode next week. Go vote in the Red Maryland poll, redmaryland.com. Vote in the June poll for that. And again, stay tuned to Red Maryland, your home base for all things political in the state of Maryland. For everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. For Greg Klein, I am Brian Griffiths. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Oh, radio, tell me everything you know. I like to sing with the radio. I like to play it real loud. I like to drive with the top down. Rotor like thunder, always drawing a crowd. Every babe's gonna want a piece of me.